0: I feel like we can run the table. I are to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet. And you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to Locked On Packers on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, wherever you find podcasts. You'll find Locked on Packers, and you can get Locked on Packers on the brand new podcasting app, Himalaya. Go check that out if you haven't already. We are, as always, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin, and the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. And we're going to focus today a little bit more on the safety position, because even after the, the discussions about... Adrian Amos and Haha ha Clinton Dix have mostly been adjudicated, in my opinion. But I wanna I wanna dig in a little bit deeper and then I wanna look a little bit later at some of the kinds of players that I think the Packers could be interested in that fit their mold, that fit their athletic profile, and that will complement Amos. And and there's actually two names that I wanna focus in on and, and I wanna dive in a little bit on some of these athletic measurables that Green Bay uses, why they use them, and why I think we need to take them seriously given the way this roster looks. But I want to start with this conversation about Amos versus Haha Clinton Dicks. You don't have to agree that Amos is better than than Dicks. You don't have to. You're I mean, I don't I don't think you're right if that's how you think If you think how Clinton Dix is better, I think he is a more skilled playmaker at creating interceptions. I don't think he's a better player. And frankly, I don't think it's that close. But the Chicago media and, and their fans are going to tell you something else. But what they're also going to tell you is Chicago looked at their player and they decided they were not going to pay him. And what they decided was they were happy getting someone like Haha ha Clinton Dix at $3.5 million. And that might be true, but it's not proof that Adrian Amos is not worth the money that he got. It can be the case that Adrian Amos was not worth the money to Chicago because what he does for them is not. The same as what he's going to do for Green Bay. The upgrade is going to be much more impactful for Green Bay than it would have been in retaining him in Chicago, given the talent on the field. He helped make Eddie Jackson's job a little bit easier, allowed him to make more plays. But getting anyone in that spot to just do their job could probably serve 70%, 75%, 80% of that function. That Bears defense is ultimately successful because of that front, because of Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, Danny Trevathan, Roquan Smith, and because they have corners on the edge who can cover. And then you have Eddie Jackson to clean everything up. He is the great eraser. He can create turnovers. He is the playmaker of the back end. So... It is the case that Amos might have been the 7th, 8th, ninth most important player on that defense. That's not the same as saying he he can't be worth the money Green Bay paid him and can't be a very good player for the Packers. You go back and you look at that 2011 Packers team. And you could make the case that James Jones... Was like the ninth best player on that offense. He might have been, but that's only because the rest of that offense was freaking loaded. So it's difficult to say. Well, he's not. He's not any good. He's he's limited. I don't. The, the discussions about him being limited are just wrong. They're just not true. This is about marginal utility. What was his value to Chicago? Well, different than what it's going to be for Green Bay. Because Green Bay doesn't have Eddie Jackson. Green Bay doesn't have Khalil Mack. And I know that that is upsetting to a lot of Packer fans. That that is the case. But that is the case. So his value to Green Bay is different. But look at what Amos was being paid relative to what Earl Thomas got paid. And to what Landon Collins got paid. And to what Tyron Matthew got paid. Even if you don't think he's as good as those players, and I I don't think he's as good as Earl Thomas, but the injury risk is much less. He's much younger. He is younger and more durable than Matthew. I think he's just flat out better than Landon Collins, and I think he's probably better at this point in his career than Tyron Matthew. Because I think Matthew lost a lot of his athleticism, which hurt his playmaking ability, and he's making less than those guys. A lot less. Would those players have made Green Bay better? Sure they would have because Green Bay's hole at safety was that big. You can say they overpaid for him. I don't think they overpaid for him. Look at what a high-caliber starting safety cost on the open market. Now, I don't think the open market is everything when it comes to player value. We had went through this with receiver. Just because the Bills paid John Brown 9000000 million doesn't mean he's worth $9 million. Just because... Adam Humphreys and Cole Beasley and a bunch of these slot receivers got hella paid doesn't mean they're worth that money. I don't think they are. But when you look at what these top guys are getting, whether it's free agency or otherwise, and you look at what Amos is getting paid for the upgrade that he was for Green Bay and for the role that he's going to fill as a versatile guy who can play in the box, who can play deep, who can play a little bit of everywhere, who's good at just about everything. He may be a jack of all trades and a master of none, but he is still a jack of all trades, which is better than being a jack of two trades, which is sort of what the Packers have right now. I think each team in this Packers-Bears scenario signed a player with good value. Ha Clinton-Dix at $3.5 That's that's a really good deal because even though he's a more high-variance player than the guy that they let go... He can still make plays. He has that upside. We've seen him be a good player. I don't think the Packers overpaid for Adrian Amos. I just don't. I think they overpaid for Billy Turner, and I think they probably overpaid for Zadarius Smith. Of all, the, of all the guys that they signed, the guy they definitely didn't overpay is Amos. And the fact that Bears fans want to kick him out the door is not evidence that he's not good or worth the money. Packer fans, a lot of them, also want to kick Brian Bulaga out the door. And his contract right now, given what mediocre offensive tackles are getting paid, is a steal. And he's actually good. I don't understand any argument that says a player is worth the same to every team. He's not. So the fact that the Bears were willing to let him walk. And by the way, they wanted to resign him. They tried to resign him. Kevin Fishbane was on this program talking about it. And the Broncos, with his old coach, wanted to sign him. They just didn't know what the money was going to be. They were not necessarily offering him what the Packers offered him. That's not to say they weren't going to do it. They didn't get the chance to do it. Green Bay signed him right away. He was a priority for them. We also make the mistake all the time of believing that another team understands and, and values a player correctly, whether it's in their role or their their value as a as a contract, whatever it is. Green Bay let Micah Hyde walk and didn't even offer him a contract. Pro bowl player. Traded Demarius Randle for a backup quarterback. Had a great season last year. Let let Casey Hayward walk. All pro. They drafted him. They did the right thing. But they had a coach that didn't know how to use him. They, they Dom Capers wanted to play HaHa ha Clinton Dix over Micah Hyde and insisted that Casey Hayward was a slot corner. They were given opportunities elsewhere and showed that they could flourish. So just because the Bears felt a certain type of way about Adrian Amos. I know Ryan Pace just got executive of the year, but he got executive of the year because he hired Matt Nagy and because he traded for Khalil Mack. Not because of how he felt about Adrian Amos. I mean, go back and listen to what what Kyle said about the Bears. They were frustrated he wasn't making more splash plays. So if what they wanted was ha-ha Clinton Dix, how can we expect that they had correctly evaluated Amos's value? If, if all they cared about was him creating more turnovers when all you have to do is watch him on tape for five minutes to see the value of just being reliable. Just do your damn job. How many years have we watched the Packers go through safety after safety after safety that doesn't have a clue where they need to be or can't stay on the field or doesn't give effort or can't make a tackle? At this point, it's not settling For just doing your job. And it's not even just doing your job. I think that is framing it. In a way that is unfair. To a player who does his job. Because not every player. Is able to play to play to play. Execute their job. Just doing your job. Let's say we just frame it that way. Just doing your job. You know what that is? That's code for execution. That means play to play. You're doing what your team is asking you to to do, fulfilling that role consistently is really hard. Being a consistent player, being able to do your job effectively consistently is what it means to be good. That is how we define a good player. A cornerback who has six interceptions but gives up eight touchdowns is not necessarily a good player. They, they might be a ball hawk. They might have great hands, but wouldn't you rather have a, a cornerback who doesn't give up receptions, but also doesn't give inter- get interceptions? You don't want the high-variance player in a position like that. Safety is named safety, and it's named that way for a reason. You're a last line of defense player. Not every Safety has to be Earl Thomas creating turnovers. Not every safety has to be Ed Reed and get eight interceptions a season to be a good player. We overvalue things like that. And and not just us. People in the media and people on teams. Coaches. Front office people. Evaluators. Scouts. Splash plays are important. And if you're not getting them, we need to understand why you're not. What are the reasons... You're not getting those splash plays. And in a lot of cases, it has to do with role. What are you asked to do? And there's nothing wrong with a player who's really good at at tackling and playing zone coverage and coming up and filling in the run game and asking that player to do those things. There's nothing wrong with that. Asking him to play single high safety and go make center field coverage reads and plays on the ball, well, if that's not what he's good at, why? Why? Mike Patton doesn't need him to do that. So why are we worrying about the things that Amos can't do? Because that list is so much shorter than Haha Clinton Dix's list. Haha Clinton Dix can get some interceptions. But all of the other play-to-play reliability things are not there. So I, I really, I, I, I take issue with this idea that doing one's job is a baseline. It's not. There's no just in that. Because if you do your job every time, that means you're not making mistakes. You're not giving up passes. If you're an offensive lineman and you just do your job every snap, you're an all-pro. Right? Because if you just do your job every snap, that means you block your guy every play. You don't give up bad runs. You don't give up pressures. You don't give up sacks. Just doing your job as an offensive lineman makes you an all-pro. Just doing your job as a defensive end or an outside linebacker in a 3-4 means you're going QB hunting. And if you do your job, you're disrupting the quarterback. And you're getting sacks and you're creating turnovers. But a safety's job, just doing the job of a safety, means not allowing big plays. Chicago doesn't allow big plays. It means making tackles in the open field it means being able to play inside. It means being able to play deep. It means being able to rely on you to be in the right place at the right time. To cover for corners when they're out of position. To read the quarterback's eyes and get to the ball carrier. Being able to make plays in the run game and the passing game. That's doing your job. That is what Adrian Amos can do. And I think that we, we lose sight of that so often because what we want And again, I include NFL teams in this. What we want is those splash plays. And for good reason. Their their field-tilting plays are are how you win football games. If you can't make them, and Green Bay hasn't been able to make them in a long time with, with any sort of consistency on defense, you can't be a very good defense. But not every player on your team needs to do that. You need guys like Amos to just do their job so that your playmakers can make plays. The problem for Green Bay is they haven't had guys that can do their job or playmakers, and they're, they're just now changing that. Josh Jackson is a playmaker. Jair Alexander is a playmaker. Kenny Clark is a playmaker. Blake Martinez, he's a do-your-job guy. Adrian Amos, he's a do-your-job guy, and they can do the job. And maybe Amos, in a new, in a new defense, in a, in a different role, maybe he can tilt the field a little bit more. Who knows? But we can't assume that the Bears know what's best. Because if we assumed other teams know what's best, there would be no draft steals. There would be no free agent, hidden gems. Everyone would just be right all the time. And the reality is teams are wrong more than they're right. So why is that? It's because the teams don't always know what's best. and he got better, I thought, this past year, which is encouraging with the anticipatory throws and the touch of his throws. But his deep ball passing is like the worst in the league. Here, Matt with co-host Brian Peacock every day on Locked On NFL. Subscribe or follow today wherever you get your podcasts. So when you, when you look at how Green Bay is going to address the other safety position... I've made the case before that the draft is the way to do that. So who are the players that can fill in that role? Well, Green Bay has an athletic profile that they like. And that player is not short, generally over 5'10.5". That player is not slow. They have to run faster than 4'6". And they have to be nimble three-cone, under 7.05. There there is less of a mold at safety than there is at other positions. But we think that those parameters are safe. And that's a a smaller group than you might think. It really is. You look in this draft, and as of the athletic testing numbers we have right now, that's only three guys. (laughs) Seriously, it's only three guys. Now, there's a group of guys who are right on the borderline, and they are in that range, uh, and, and some guys that I think Green Bay is going to be interested in. And then there's another group of guys who have just not finished athletic testing, and we have a sort of incomplete look at who they are. There's also this metric called relative athlete score that that Kent LaPlatt has uh, put together And uh, it's is—it's like Spark. It's like a lot of these scores out there that basically uh, allows you to take what a player is relative to other guys at their position and say, what kind of athlete are you? Spark is a very similar metric. And we talked last year after the draft about how basically every pick Green Bay made, there were Spark studs. Well, they were also RAS studs, relative athlete score Studs. Only one player, Cole Madison, was not an eight and a half or higher. And only one player currently on the roster who was a draft pick has a relative athlete score under 6.1, and that's Jamal Williams. So if you take the guys who pass the thresholds that they like in terms of size and athletic profile, there's really only a handful of players that you really have to choose from at safety. And I want to I just highlight them a little bit. Juan Thornhill is one of them. He, is, he has not passed all of the checkpoints because he did not do agility testing at his pro day, but had an incredible combine with his straight-line athleticism, played corner at times at Virginia, ball skills, created turnovers, and if you want a guy who you can play everywhere, play corner in the slot, he can play near the line of scrimmage, he can play deep, do, does the things that you need him to do opposite Adrian Amos. Thornhill is a guy that I think, if you look at 45, could be in play. Maybe a little bit later than that. If Green Bay trades back into day two, which I think is a, a very good possibility, he could be a name to keep in mind. Amani Hooker is a name that, that has come up a lot. He is a, a third round, it seems like, but probably a day two guy, third round guy. Now, he is more of in that strong safety type, but outstanding athleticism. He, he passed all of the athletic checkpoints that Green Bay is going to want, and I, I think that he is, they like Iowa defensive backs, we know that, uh, Josh Jackson, Micah Hyde. He's got versatility. You can play him a little bit of everywhere. Now, he's not that true nickel safety where you're going to put him in coverage and let him cover dudes one-on-one. But Nasir Adderley might be. Former cornerback. They moved him to safety because he asked to be moved. He said, "I think I can help us more because of the other guys we have at safety." Now, he didn't he he didn't finish the athletic testing at his pro day, but the jumps were great. He ran a, a solid first 40 time, tweaked his hamstring, and then couldn't continue. Uh, been dealing with an injury through the course of the offseason. But you want to talk about ball skills, coverage ability. Uh, he, he checks all the boxes. And that that is before you get to the Packers lineage that he has in his family. Uh, obviously, Herb Adderley being uh, one of the all-time great Packers, I don't think that's a reason to draft him. But it certainly uh, doesn't hurt when you're when you're looking at that. So those are those are the guys right now that if you want to look at, you know, what, what the draft looked like last year and the kind of players at those positions that are at the that are at or near the top of the board that check both sets of boxes with the, the athletic profile they normally like and for their position are elite athletes. Those are the th- those are really the three guys right now, that that fill that set of criteria. There are other guys who are who are going to be available to them. Chauncey Gardner Johnson uh, is is a very good athlete. He's not an elite athlete. Taylor Rapp is a very good athlete. He's not an elite athlete. Jonathan Abram, a very good but not elite athlete. If they continue to do what they've been doing under Brian Gutekunst and what they showed in year one with Brian Gutekunst, they want the top guys. And I don't think they are only looking at athleticism. And in fact, they mentioned the ball skills at corner. They wanted playmakers. That's what Josh Jackson and Jair Alexander were, guys who can create turnovers. Well, it just so happens that those guys are athletic. It's hard to be a playmaker if you don't have athletic tools. So to find that combination, it, it makes sense, right? There's an intuitive nature to this. Get the guy who's a crazy athlete who can make plays. That's, that seems easy. I mean, it's not obviously easy to do or easy to find, but it's a very intuitive notion. Yeah, Jamon Moore and, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Equinemius St. Brown, they were not high pedigree guys. They are freak athletes. Freak athletes. Oren Burke's outstanding athleticism but they were good football players too and we saw that I mean we saw what MVS and EQ were capable of doing it take it took Jamon Moore a little bit t- uh, more time and we who knows maybe he won't make it he got better every year at Missouri and improved and and if you're the Packers you want to see him do that again but you Bank on athleticism Because the draft, I mean, especially after the first few rounds, there's just lottery tickets. Bank on athleticism. And then if you can find playmaking at the top of the draft, playmaking and athleticism, easy, done, draft. Most of their big mistakes over the last few years under Ted Thompson were when they stepped outside of their athletic profiles. Now, some of them were not, that wasn't their fault. Derek Sherrod got hurt. Kyler Fackrell turned into... a a solid player although I don't think he's anywhere near as good as what his sack numbers indicate I would be surprised if safety's in play at 12 because of what were this discussion I think there's a first round safety if there's a first round safety they're interested in it's Nasir Adderley at 30 if there's a second round safety they're interested in I think it's Juan Thornhill and if there's a third round safety they're interested in it's Imani Hooker they may take more than one But I think those are the three names that we can zero in on right now and say these are the guys with the athletic profile and the games that could appeal to Green Bay. And I think especially those first two with Thornhill and Adderley, both guys experience at corner, athletic ability, coverage ability. That coverage ability is so crucial because you want someone that can can roam around that allows Amos to just do his job. You want guys that are going to go make plays, and those guys can make plays. At some point, we're going to do a show where I break down what I think are the 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 real options for Green Bay at their top picks, and go through some of these um, athletic profiles who fits them, who checks the boxes. Because you know, there's a guy like Jonah Williams. Just he's just not athletic enough. He's just not athletic enough for Green Bay. And maybe they're going to miss out on good players doing it this way, but this is this has been a formula that's worked for them most, of you know, really for a decade plus. And I, I, I there's no reason to believe that they're going to go against it. This is an athletic class. There are guys at positions of need that fit this bill, and so I don't think Green Bay is going to have a problem finding players that they're interested in. Uh, it's going to be a, a matter of where do they find value? Where do they find the guys that they like at a position in the draft where they think those guys are worth taking? That's always the question when it comes to the draft, but it is never an easy question. And and I think Green Bay did a pretty good job last year identifying guys that give them good value. It's pretty clear to me that that they found two receivers on day three who can be legitimate NFL players. I think they got a starting NFL corner on day 2. I think Tony Brown can be a legitimate NFL contributor. He was an undrafted free agent. I think Brian Gutekins is showing some very good early signs that he has a clue. Beyond that, we don't we don't know if he's going to continue to use these models. It looks like he is. It sounds like he is. He clearly prioritizes athleticism maybe even more than Ted Thompson. And we don't have evidence, though, that he prioritizes athleticism over football ability because Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson, those guys make plays. They can play football. Oren Burks is a little bit of an upside play. But is St. Brown, he can play receiver. And Jamon Moore can play receiver. He can run routes. He gets it. He just he needed some time. And MVS walked onto the field from day one and and looked like an NFL player to the surprise of a lot of people, myself included. So, you know, I don't think we should we should be concerned that he's prioritizing athleticism. I know that's usually the knock. Oh, all he was, you know, the Al Davis way. Oh, well, just you know, if he can run fast. That's enough. I don't think that's what they're looking for. I think what they've determined is we can coach you if you have athletic tools and and these traits. We can turn you into the right kind of player, and and especially given the way this offense looks now. You want athletic linemen. You want receivers who can run. You want tight ends who can run. That's what this offense is built on, built on creating big plays. When you have a defense like Mike Patton that's based on deception and playing a little bit of everywhere, you have to have really good athletes in the modern NFL to play that way. So Green Bay has to keep working to get those guys we'll be back tomorrow and and again we're going to continue with the draft discussion we're going to have some guests on i I told you we're going to get that zadarius smith uh, show done we'll get that out of the way coming up here in the next week or two and before you know it's going to be april and that means the draft is going to be here we're going to have a lot to talk about as we lead up to the draft i'm going to focus on some players get some input on that uh, have a lot of NFL draft related guests on to talk about those players and give you a great picture of hopefully who the Packers are going to take before they do it or at the very least stumble onto a player that they like uh, and then when they take them you'll have learned about them on this show that'll be my goal as we move toward the end of April remember you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers like us on Facebook Subscribe to us on iTunes, on Spotify, and remember, you can find us on Himalaya. That's like the mountain, Himalaya. It's a podcast app. Remember, you can also listen to your car, tell your smart device to play Locked on Packers, tell your google home your alexa your bluetooth device in your car wherever it is just tell them to play locked on packers and it is make a friend monday so go tell a friend about locked on packers let them know that you you like this show you're listening and get them to text the locked on packers fan hotline get them to call in 920-341-3775 and make sure that they're staying locked on packers